listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. It's been a great series so far. And yet today, we're going to deal with, I think, some of the greatest challenges in life is our understanding around how God has designed relationships and sex. That's right, sex. A lot of churches won't go there, but we're here. And joining us today, we have an incredible group up on the grandstand that are going to be representing some of the questions that have been sent in and the questions that are there for all of us to discover God's answer for. And then, of course, we've searched high and low. We've literally gone globally to find a group of sexperts. And uh, we have them here with us today. And it's so great because I'm looking forward to what I'm going to learn out of their responses. We're going to enjoy it as a church. And we're really believing that we're going to discover more of God. So the first person I chose was Marie Dion. It's great to have you here, Marie. Thank you. It's good to be here. Are you going to be open today? I will be open as I... Possibly can. <laughs> I love that. And then we've got Cy Rogers. Cy, Hi. welcome. Thank you. It's so Thank great you. to have you here. Thank you. And then Jamie Wong. Hello. How are you, Jamie? Good, thank you. Are you nervous? I'm not a resident sex expert, but <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. I love that. And of course, Scott Thornton. Pastor Scott, great to have you here with us. It's great to be here. Hopefully I've still got a job at the end of this. That's, I'm that's sure you will. Going, this is a, I think these are great subjects and yeah. uh, we really need to go there to find why God said what he said yeah. and the answers. So we're going to kick it over to the grandstand. I'm going to start with Lily. What's the question that you're going to represent for all of us today? Well, my question's a bit selfish. So, um, <laughs> so I want to ask the mama of the house. So Pastor Marie, what does God say about singleness? That's a good question, Lily. He does have something to say about singleness. But, you know, I often talk to people that are single and they feel like um, they're less than, especially in the church, because they're not married. But um, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, he talked about, if you, if you can, stay single, because he was a single man. And he said it's much better to be single because you can be single-focused. And I think the... Um, the thing to take from what he says in 1 Corinthians 7, 9 is that you are complete as a single person. Yeah. Being married doesn't make you a complete person. Yeah. Um, in fact, he talks about that, and uh, I'm sure all the married people could uh, adhere to this, that he says, sometimes I wish everyone was single like me, a simpler life in many ways. <laughs> I think Marie says that every time I travel. It's like... <laughs> but he also says, but celibacy is not for everyone, and the same, same with marriage. Marriage is not for everyone. God gives the gift of single life to some, the gift of the married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them, as it has been for me. So I think what he's saying there is, like, make the best of being single if you are single because you can do a lot more. For God, you can be single-focused. You are complete in what you do. Have, being married just is somebody added to your life. It's not somebody completing you. And I think a lot of people, particularly young people that I've spoken to, they say they're desperate to get married. And it's like, that's not going to be the completion of who you are. In fact, that can complicate things if you haven't dealt with that completion as a single person. So, Yeah, and I think we want to represent that uh, incredible people, many, have remained single their whole lives and done an outstanding job. Uh, Jamie, from your perspective, have you ever experienced like a stigma 
that would come with being single, you know, when people around you are being married. Yeah, definitely. Right. Um, as the most qualified single person on the panel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure I should be fist bumping there. But there, there's definitely a stigma that is out there. And I think that you really have to look at it as there are external, external stigmas or external pressures that you get from other people. So, example, the number of times that people have asked me, Jamie, why are you still single? Like, I, I wish I had the answer to that, but, you know, like, it's, it's pressure from outside. Um, but then there's also the internal stigma and internal pressure that I actually think is the hardest one to navigate. Because I'm asking myself then, why, why am I still single? Like, is this, have I done something wrong? Is, is there something wrong with me? Do I need to change something? Um, and that, that's a really challenging journey to go through because it's so personal and it's so true to who you are. Um, but from my experience, like, that's one of those things where I think it's really important that you have people in your life that you can actually allow them to speak into those situations. Because for many people, there are like there isn't a reason for that they're single, but for some people there are. For some people, maybe it's that you're not putting yourself out there enough. Maybe you're too closed off. Um, and it's really important that you have people in your life that um, you trust enough to let them speak into you into your life in that way. That being said, though, PSA to everybody else out there, that doesn't give you license to speak and to and to <laughs> give unsolicited advice. To, to people who aren't asking for it, because the reality is you don't know the whole situation, um, and there and there are reasons for you know decisions and things. But yeah, yeah great answers, fantastic. Somebody else. Cool. So I have a bit of a tough question, and that is, if the Bible teaches about being unequally yoked, why is it that God asked Hosea to marry Goma, who was a prostitute? Mm. Great question, sir. Great question. Uh, I think the answer to that is understanding the purpose of the story. And the purpose of the story of Hosea and Gomer is not a dating story. It's a story of God's redemption. In the Old Testament, prophets would often outwork God's word through word and deed. And the story of Hosea and Gomer is Hosea represents a loving God and Gomer represents an immoral lady and it's the lengths that a loving God would go to to rescue and redeem broken people. You can't take that story and say it's a dating story. It's, it's not a dating story. It's a redemption story. So that's, that's that. Well, you could take any story in the Bible. Do we have to spit on the ground and wipe mud in people's eyes for them to be healed? No, that, that was a story in that moment. And the Hosea and Goma story is not a dating story. It's a story of the amazing redemptive lengths that God would go to to redeem brokenness. And I think, you know, one of the big things about Scripture is that there are some absolutes that God sets in stone. If you violate that, you violate Him. And therefore, you remove yourself from His presence. There are other things that He says that are there for our best. And, uh, and whether everybody would agree with this, but I think that's where we've all got license to feel it. But the Bible says don't be unequally yoked, which is if you are desperate to get married and so therefore you go outside of the kingdom, then you are going to end up where many people end up in people going two different directions. And the pressure after marriage settles down of having people two end goals 
has been the demise of many people. Whereas you don't, Christians aren't perfect, but they've both got an end goal. That's for God. And that's why God says, don't find yourself with somebody that doesn't want what God's called you to. And so that's something that we've got to, again, that's not a condemnation if you're in that kind of relationship, but you'll know how hard that is when it comes to the things of God. But for all of us to look at how we can do that. Um, Let's go to Karen. Karen, got a question. Yeah. Um, How do I prepare to attract a life partner? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Maybe, Si, you got a thought on that? Because um, there is, I think, like Jamie said, sometimes there's this stigma of like, well, am I not ready for this or is there something about me? But how do we best prepare ourselves? I think using singleness as a season of investment for oneself was something that... uh, was, became clearer to me back in my single days, having lived a life outside of the boundaries, then becoming a Christian and being serious to realign with God's wisdom, meant now a season of singleness imposed upon me that I found was a relief, not a burden, <laughs> and that I wasn't filtering my life through everything about desirability and availability and trying to be attractive to somebody. I could get up and go to the mall and not worry about who, who am I going to hook up with? I could go enjoy dinner or a time with friends, and it wasn't all about who's going to be attracted to me. So uh, to enjoy my singleness as a time also of growth and investment, I think did end up making me more attractive to the person who would become my, my spouse. And one thing that really attracted me to Karen, you know, is that she knew who she was in God. She was going to live her life, whether she was married or not, for kingdom interest. And she felt uh, completed in God, if you will. I love that, you know, philosophy that we espouse here, that uh, marriage does not complete you. God does. Marriage is a complementary partnership of reward but risk and responsibility. And so Karen hoped to marry, but she used her singleness to grow as a person, enjoy life. And uh, I found that very compelling Uh, and also her knowing who she was, that uh, she wasn't looking at me to be the one to complete her. She knew who she was, and I found that very attractive about her, um, and and still do. Yeah, I would say the same thing, Si, even from my own experience. I actually, when I met Paul, was questioning, is this just distraction from the enemy? Because I was so... I'm too sexy for my body. Oh, I can do that. No, but all that to say, I was I was complete without Paul. Uh, and like Sai said, it's an addition to my life. He wasn't filling a gap in my life. But I think that, you know, there's a lot of single people that have that love a relationship with God that are still single. So I, I think the Proverbs puts it about the Proverbs 31 woman and um it says she wraps herself in strength, might and power in all her works. And I think that is the thing, just keep doing what you're doing for God and being fulfilled in God and then the right person at the right time will come along. I know that might be harder or a cliche for some people that are older and still single because I was younger, married, but it was just poor God put us together um, and we made the decision to get married and commit to each other, but... Um, I think once, as long as you keep focusing on your relationship with God and being fulfilled in that, it is attractive. And that's what attracted me with Paul. He, had a, he loved God. He was in love with God and it was obvious. And I think, you know, he would say the same to me. Well, I'll have to now. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> it wasn't about my silver bikini. It was because of... <laughs> I'm still praying I'll see you one day. But, uh, I think Jamie said it too. It's, it's to have the security in yourself to be able to have other people that's saying, am I missing something? Yeah. Um, I think... You know, as a single person, we can all in that state be over-anxious and uh, sort of over-project rather than really find out who we are, settled in who we are. Because don't forget, you attract somebody in a false you, you're then going to have to deal with the real you in that relationship. So it's it, none of us are perfect, but to find completion in God, to have other people that say, hey, well, you're just a little bit too like that. If you just move that, be yourself, but work on that that there is that completion. Great. Some great stuff there. But all of us are looking for a partner. Erin, question on that? Yeah, I guess once you do meet someone and perhaps start dating, how do you know when they are the one, that they are the one for you? Yeah, that's a big question. For Marie and I, um, she just knew I was the right one. <laughs> no, seriously, we, we were both, uh, again, we were going out and it was at that point where... How do we know? I was so desperate, Marie was so desperate to know that this is not just about us, but God, you know the future. Yeah. Um, and we need to know this is outside of salvation, the next big decision. It's amazing to me how people just sort of hide in the background and then all of a sudden quickly get it all wrapped up and they've had no input. So I, I, I think we've got to think beyond the emotion of the moment, yeah. um, the attraction of the moment, yeah. because we all see the real us and the real them as time goes by. But it was just this desperate cry. I don't, I don't want anything less than what you want. But I, for me personally, I felt like God say, it's your choice, this one. Yeah. You get to choose. I, this may be misread, but I don't think there is one right person. Wow. I think the one right person is based on your decision before God. Yeah. Rather than God has predestined that one right person because then what happens when chaos happens and yeah. people die before their time and... People make decisions not to go God's way. And it's no, God sees the decisions. And so God gives us a broad um, runway, which is, again, find people of faith. And then are you committed to live your life with them, no matter what they are? Because the truth in marriage, I think um, Marie would say it, I'd say it, we realise we're very different people when we get married. And that commitment to say, no, we've made this decision. We wanted your best God. Now we made the decision. So many people say, oh, I never had my soulmate. Well, you made that decision. Let that person become your soulmate. Yeah. Yeah. We're in a world that says, no, it's feeling-based. Um, you know, I just never really love them. You, what is love? Love is a commitment. Love is something that you say, hey, God, I asked you. You gave me freedom. I made that choice. And so the more I put into it, the more I'll feel from it. Yeah rather than this is based on feeling. So a one-line response from each of you. Um, so I'm single. Um, what would you say, um, how should I approach someone that I may be interested in or think I'd like to know better? <laughs> because, because a lot of people go, well, I don't know what to do. You know, I, I turn up, I've tried winking, nobody responds. <laughs> You know, it's kind of like I tried a different aftershave. I uh, tried a different colour and it's kind of like it's not working. I mean, seriously, it's like what, what would you do, Marie? Well, I think we are in a day where um, a girl could ask a guy out as much as a guy a girl. Yep. I don't think we right. have to uh, live by what 
our great-grandparents did and oh, waited great. for the men to yeah. come and, and right. date you. So I think definitely to just ask somebody out for coffee, you're not asking them to go and buy you a, ri a ring. It's just a coffee. So I think doing that in, with a group of other people, like do it in a safety of, hey, I've got a friends, we're going out, why don't you come for coffee? Cool. In the safety of a group of people, then you're not singled out or have to just have a conversation. Okay, one sentence answer. That's Ugh, great. I can't do one sentence, sorry. <laughs> or you could do what Marie did and let's show a photo of her in a silver bikini. Oh, no, anyway. Don't believe him, Sorry, Sai, let's go. <laughs> I'll get you back. I don't know that I can do a one-sentence answer either. I know. And I am very highly caffeinated, but I will say, uh, Karen and I, I can only use us as an example. We worked together, and we went to the same home group, and we went to the same church. So we got to know each other. So developing a friendship, and on top of that, earning trust. Good really paved the way forward. She observed how did I handle temptation? How did I handle anger? How did I handle anxiety? How did I treat other people? How did I manage my humanity? And over time that earned trust. And when people would challenge her, you're going to marry someone with a history like his, she could say yes, but over the last couple of years, I've observed him and he has earned my trust and I know the boat that I'm getting into. Awesome. So I think with that idea in mind. Great. Mm. Jamie? Mine is actually a one sentence of what Sai said, yeah. which is don't underestimate friendship. Great. Brilliant. Scott. What group or team are you on? Because I might join it. Yeah. <laughs> like, just get proximity. Like, just... Love it. That's why I joined the, the choir in Sydney. Cool, we're actually kind of sort of touching on it, but Pastor Scott, in terms of dating or getting that dating process going, are there any boundaries? Process. Yeah. Well, okay. Kicking yeah. it off, yeah. you know? Yeah. Are there any <laughs> boundaries, in your opinion, that should be set? Yeah, I think the setting of boundaries is important, but, but the reason for setting the boundaries is almost more important. Like, if I'm setting boundaries out of some arbitrary, religious, there's the line I need to stay away from it, good luck keeping those. Right. But when Amanda and I got together, we, we talked about boundaries, but the boundaries were from the premise of what story do we want to tell in later years? And if I have daughters that I now do, uh, I want them to follow our pattern. And the boundaries are set from outcomes and story, not religion and rules. And having said that, I know we're in a, in a world where there are so many people that have probably crossed boundaries it's never too late to establish them and, and to have a story of, hey, you know what, we didn't do it right all the way, but there was a point where we said, God, from this point on, we're going to have a story that says this. And it's never too late to have that type of story. Yeah, it's amazing. We are in a day and a generation where it's like everybody's doing it. Uh, so what's wrong if it's consensual? But we've got to realise that God has specific things that become the glue of your future in marriage and that particularly sexual things. And I, and I love that, Scott. I think we've got to look at why God said it, not just what God said. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody else may compromise and they may see it as having no harm attached. Whereas God says, when you find your life partner, if you've kept those boundaries and you set those boundaries, your decision of relationship is not based on your sexual want, your sexual gratification. It's based on a commitment to a person. 
and that those are the big things in life. So I, I think it'd be good for us to sort of go a bit deeper and go into the whole sex kind of topic because, again, in church, we, we feel like, oh, that's a bit, you know, core, but it, it's part of life. God doesn't look at sex and go, ah, freak out. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, some people don't understand that when sex takes place the way God designed it, God smiles. Yeah. And it's a picture of intimacy to the nth degree that we can experience in our human form as we have spiritually with God the Father. And so God doesn't see it as dirty. And so we've, many of us have gone through a different view on sex and, and God wants to bring us back. And I think that is a challenge in the world that we're at. So any questions on that? Pastor Paul, um, as a father of daughters, uh, how do I explain God's plan for no sex before marriage? You know, especially, like you say, in a culture where it's known everybody is doing it. You do have to, from my point of view, you, you've got to settle the why very clearly. Yeah. Um, I would say to parents, make sure with your children you're not waiting till they ask. Yeah. Because when they're asking, they've already asked somewhere. Yeah. And our, our kids are now very early uh, because permission is given and encouraged. Uh, whereas when we grew up, it was kind of like, that's still not the done thing, whereas now it is the done thing. Um, so for me, it's very a, a simple illustration I've used many, many times, and it's maybe a little archaic, but the whole story of if you create a fire in a fireplace, it warms the home. But you start the fire outside of the fireplace in the home, it destroys it. And our sexual togetherness was created for a man and a woman inside marriage to complete and to find that intimacy. And so it's kind of like you can have sex and people can have sex. It's an experience or it can be the warmth of a lifelong relationship. So when people are coming and they say, well, you know, if we have sex, we'll stay together. So sex is the thing that's keeping you together. It's, it's really thinking about how to do it. But I would say definitely... Uh, be talking about a lot earlier than you think you have to. Yeah. Because when you have to, there's already preconceived yeah. thoughts. That's right. so? well, and, and I would say, you know, uh, sex education is more than talking about what body parts do to produce children. Uh, it's uh, a series of conversations over a period of years with different emphasis and that are age appropriate. And a really great resource on this, written by Christian psychologist and Wheaton professor uh, Stanton Jones. Dr. Jones has written a great book called How and When to Tell Your Kids About Sex. And it literally gives you age appropriate scripts that you can place emphasis that's building toward this ultimate understanding of why would God, the maker of this, also put it within these confines that provide wisdom and safety. Uh, and so many times we've not been trained to think in church culture that way. But rather than just mopping up the aftermath in people, how awesome to have a chance to be straightforward and prevent and redirect on a healthier, wiser path. Pastor Paul, can I just add one thing to that? I've got an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old, so we're kind of right in the tail end of, of that process now. I think it's really crucial to establish not everyone is doing it. And, and I had a home group at our house last night. Hannah, who's an amazing young girl in our church, had eight or ten 16-year-olds at my house last night. Find a group of people who have values that you have. Mm -hmm. Rather than trying to convince all your friends who are doing it to stop, find the people who aren't doing it and create a, a group of... Not everyone is doing it. Find the ones that aren't. 
Yeah, and I would say to every parent, you're crazy if you don't have your kids in a healthy church yep. yeah. with people that are older than them because as they go into those intermediate and then teen years, yeah. their mentors are not just you. Yeah. They have to be people that are committed to God's way of living yeah. because they get it every other way. And if you don't do that and it's like, oh, they're sick, oh, they got sport, oh, they're too tired, and they end up not really building a community that has deep roots, their input is going to be external. Yeah. And so, therefore, that's... That's what is taking place. So it's a big subject, this whole thing of sex. I would even say too, like there's a side of it, if I had daughters, I've got sons, or talking to my sons even when they were younger as well, but there's a soul tie that happens as well. So a lot of people, I've heard people go, well, I, I, I sleep around, they don't mind about that, but they don't realise what they're damaging themselves because the Bible said you're actually sinning against yourself and that damage is a soul tie that you don't realise it affects you until you actually are married and you're in an intimate relationship and now you've got all this damage where you've given part of yourself away to somebody each time you are in a sexual relationship. So It has a cost. You violate God's way of living. It's not that God can't restore it, but there is a cost. And so it's not just, hey, I slept with somebody. It's the destruction of something. I guess the um, question off the back of that is, what is the difference between having a relationship and sex? Yeah, well, somebody's asked that question and you would say if you draw relationship and sex in the same, you don't understand relationship. So relationship has to be far deeper than that. Sex won't keep a marriage a lifetime. Relationship will. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of like even our walk with God, uh, a Sunday service won't keep your Christianity intact. Uh, a moment in God is very important, those apex moments of worship and a now word from God, but that doesn't, it's your relationship. So I think we're in a world that basically says, I'm in a relationship, that means I'm sleeping with my partner. Whereas God says that was not the way it was designed. Intimacy was to know each other intimately with the crowning fact of sex in a marriage, lifelong, committed relationship. And I think that's how we've got to redefine it. We've drifted so far away from that. And so, but we all struggle. I mean, we all struggle with our sexuality. We all have that. Um, men and women are wired differently, but but in both camps, there is urges. There are parts of us that, again, you know, the enemy would try and distort and confuse. Yeah. So uh, maybe some questions around that. Yeah, I think you were just mentioning urges and struggles. And uh, so si, I've got a great question for you. I'm not sure if you can answer it without a whiteboard, uh, but hopefully you can. But my question for you, Sai, is, is masturbation okay? Our time is up. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's interesting, considering that this is the most universal form of sex people experience, the ever-present and available type of sex that you can't quite escape from. And interestingly, too, God, who is very explicit in his word, talks about just about every form of sexual union that one can have. He doesn't speak to this directly. And this causes consternation for all kinds of religious people because they're wanting the black and white God define it, yes or no. And the Bible doesn't do this. So while there is no thou shalt not in the Bible, there's also not an advocacy for this behavior. So now we have to begin to deduce. We have to reckon. And so while God does not directly say, don't do this, he does talk around the issue that my body belongs to him and is his temple. 
that I'm not to misuse it sexually. So I begin to deduce, well, does this work for me or against me? To be sure that to be involved in sex with another human is much more consequential. The outcome of that could be quite consequential. Uh, masturbation does not have that risk, so there are worse things one could do, for example. Uh, I would rather have a teenager growing up that struggles with masturbation than the consequences of sleeping around. And, and so there's a pragmatism on that one side that I do not expect a 12 to 17-year-old to have the wherewithal of a 45-year-old. Uh, so what God may provide a bit of permission toward in one season, as one matures, he may begin to ratchet up the maturation expectation uh, part of our lives, that how I manage what I think and imagine is stated in Scripture, which is often a component of the masturbation episode, is fantasy, and masturbation uh, is the outworking of fantasy. And so we can see how that connects to, to issues like not only fantasy scape, but pornography, which also incites uh, masturbation episodes. Scripture tells us uh, you know, that we're not to misuse the parts of our body as instruments of defilement in the way that perhaps we did before. We knew Christ, but now that we know him, use instruments of our body in righteous ways. So I need to find out what does God define as righteous, what's misusing, but even more importantly, the real instrument here involved is probably not our private parts, but it is our imagination, which as Oswald Chambers said, it's the last bastion to be surrendered. So what I observe is a maturation process that maybe in this season, there's a bit of margin. God has not said thou shalt not, but he's put it in boundaries. You won't go too far until you run into a boundary of what you think and what you do. And then as we mature, he begins to narrow that focus because we are ultimately intended to possess mind and body as responsible stewards. So how I manage that in thought, let alone deed, becomes important as I mature in Christ. So, uh, that actually is very clever of God that if he ever said to us, never do it, well, then that would be a different scale of shame, wouldn't it? Whereas this gives me maneuvering room to grow toward a goal of self-control in thought and deed with grace to enable that along the way. What, what you expect of a five-year-old is different than a 50-year-old. So I hope that that gives people some encouragement. Do not give up in your journey with God. He knew when he redeemed you what the struggles would be, including things like this, the most common form of sexual expression. And yet let's keep walking with him, knowing that he who begins this work in us knows how to help us regain control if we've lost it, mature and possess mind and body responsibly. He's for us in this endeavor. So let's be encouraged in his understanding and advocacy. Great. Well, that was a whiteboard answer. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Thank you. Jamie, let me put you on the spot. So you've been in a relationship and it's been a long-term relationship and you see yourself coming together forever. Is it right because of your commitment prior to marriage then to be sexually active with each other? What would your view on that be? My response to that, I think, would be that that isn't, God's plan, that's not God's will, that's not God's intention. And I would always go back to the fact that because I know and understand the character of God, I know that he always has his best in mind for me. I know awesome. that he is in every single detail and that he is trust, I, I can trust him. So if he tells me that it's not okay to have sex before marriage, and even if I don't understand all the reasons why, 
I can trust him, and that's enough for, for me personally. And I, and I think from a, a pastor's and a, fa- a spiritual father's heart, at life as every church, there would be many people encountering God for the first time and coming out of a culture that says, well, you're committed to each other, so the sexual part is just part of what we are and who we are, that we don't allow condemnation to then kind of cause us to think, well, we, we, we can't be in church and people are going to be judging us. Here at Life, I pray that we never judge the individual, but God's word is still there. And you've just got to answer the question, God's not a party pooper, but he, he wants to establish a him first priority. So he does it in our finances. He does it in many. That's not to take from us. It's just a God first priority. And if the future of your relationship is going to have God's blessing, it's because he's been positioned first. So there is some dialogue. There is some conversations. There is some input needed to say, hey, what do we need to do? Because we're not married and yet we've been together for a long time. It's kind of, well, we really want God's way. So can we put God first for a season and make ourselves right with God, and that will bring a blessing. Whenever you deny self for God's priority, it releases something. But there's so many questions in the whole sexual area. Um, Coral, you've got one of the questions. Thanks, Pastor Hall. Uh, Scott, this is a question for you, and I think it's great that we can have conversations in this context around these topics. So oral sex, is it right or is it wrong? That's a great question, Si. (laughs) (laughs) She called you out. Again, our time's done. Uh, no, I, I, think, I think these are topics that are real and prevalent today and we need to have a biblical-based and a God-honouring answer for these things because they're questions that are being asked. Um, and I think if you read the scripture, then particularly in books like Song of Solomon, I love the, the term that Pastor Paul used before when he talked about who you should marry. The runway is quite broad. And I think when it comes to sex, Inside a marriage between a heterosexual couple, the runway is quite broad. If you read the Song of Solomon, God gives us sex for a number of reasons. There's procreation, but there is connection, and one of those is pleasure. So when it comes to a right or wrong issue, religion will want to make a statement where there should be a conversation. And religion will want to go, it's right or it's wrong, and and just make a statement, whereas uh, relationship is... Let's take that to the couple and it could be right for one couple and not right for another couple, not based on religion but based on things like does it honour, is it safe, is it something that both parties want to engage in. Uh, So it becomes not right or wrong at a blanket level but it becomes a conversation between a couple because ultimately God gave us this amazing gift of sex to explore, to develop, to grow in, Uh, And as long as that honours each party within the context of a heterosexual marriage, then the runway is very broad. That's a great answer. I mean, uh, even the word heterosexual confinement is a big thing today. uh, It's kind of like, yeah, but, you know, we're not all wired that way. Some questions around that that have come in. Yeah, I have a question that I'm hoping Pastor Sire, Pastor Marie could help me with, but... I have a friend who's bisexual. She has a relationship with God, but also believes that God designed her for bisexual relationships. How do I best respond to that as a Christian, but also as a friend? You know, really, a lot of these conversations we're having about sexuality are boiling down to this concept. 
we all grow up in a culture out of God. We are conditioned by it, often unaware of that fact. And then we come into God culture. We all have our sexuality, our experience with it, positive or negative. Uh, we have uh, the conditioning of the world and its views about this, especially in the first world West, where we are very philosophical and conversational about sex. It's part of our culture. So we come to God culture, and now God as a dad is inviting us onto a path of wisdom for our welfare. He understands us not only uniquely, and we can trust his character, as Jamie says, but he also understands his intention and design for sexuality. But that intention has now been thwarted and affected by the corruption of the human race. And corrupted societies reflect this, and consequently, some of what we learn in culture may reflect truth and wisdom, and sometimes the messages are mixed, and the messages we receive are outside of God's intention. So what happens is when we're leading people disciple-making in church, we are actually helping you walk away from uh, non-kingdom culture into kingdom culture and walking away from the wisdom of the world into the wisdom of God because we are considered serious God followers, which is why we're doing this. And as a result, uh, there's where we have to begin to ask questions like, who am I listening to for my wisdom? Who am I listening to? Is it my feelings? Is it my desires? Is it the 21st century popular culture of the West? Is it my peer group? Is it my dysfunctional upbringing? Is it the labels people placed upon me? Who am I listening to that defines me and what I'm going to do? And so uh, we saw this in the Corinthian church where many of the people who came into the Corinthian church, they came from a very sexually active society and now they had to go through, if you will, a decontamination and recalibration process of putting off this kind of living, this kind of way of relating, and realign with the better, higher path of God's intention. And so this kind of a question really isn't about orientation as much as it is, who tells me who I am? Is it my feelings? Is it my culture? Is it my history? Or does God actually have a role now to define a better path for me? So fair enough, there may be reasons why I have this capacity to be attracted you know, to do all kinds of possibility. But now that I belong to God and he's calling me onto a narrower path for my welfare, uh, I need to be asking, who am I going to listen to? And to whom will I bow? You know, culture basically has an idea, God bows to sex when, no, it's sex bows to God would be our kingdom worldview. So whatever your on-ramp, bisexual, whatever, trisexual, whatever your sexuality, we all have one, but now all of us begin a process of realignment. What do you have to say about this, God? What do you think about this in my life, God? What does your word say to me about this? I have to learn to discern those voices. And Jesus said, my sheep learn to discern my voice and they begin to follow me. So fair enough, this person at some point may have been listening to many other voices, as you do in life. Uh, but now there is a higher voice, and it's good that the question is even being asked because it says, my conscience has been switched on. I now have a new source of illumination, and I'm actually now having to challenge what might have just been my assumptions, and I'm now beginning that realignment process. Keep walking with God. What does his word say? 
and trusting the Father's character. He loves you, understands you, wants you. Let's keep walking toward him. He will answer the rest of your question in due course. You know, I, th I think with that today, we would be seen. I mean, the church is called fundamentalist or conservative, whereas I go, we're actually more fundamentalist than what you think. We, we align to what God says. The question, I have a friend who's bisexual that knows God, um, feels like they're designed to have relationship with both sexes. I would say all of us are designed to have relationship with both sexes. As far as relationships, that's not sexual activity. It's kind of like there's this uprising of I'm gay. You know, I, that's how I feel. That's who I am. And often in that, there's great challenges because... You know, we're not here to point the finger at anybody's decision. God doesn't even do that. Religion may do that, but God does not condemn individuals. I think one of the questions that came out, and just for sake of time, it's kind of like all of us, I would hope, would have friends that would be in a community that's different to us, whether they be gay or, they, you know, they are this, that or the other thing. And many people believe that that's who I am. And I've, I've got, you know, that I can't change. All of us need to change something. And I, and, I, and I would say that as a church, let's make sure that we are fully embracing of whoever, wherever they are in life. Because that's the message of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, well, until you stop being naughty, you know, will I ever have a part of you? He says, no, come as you are. And then allow me to teach you and show you the ways to life. Let me understand. And I, I think all of us are going to make sure that we are not... To, in fact, I would say this. Anyone that's high on judgment is low on understanding how much they've been forgiven themselves. <laughs> so, you know, I, I believe that life is going to be a place for everyone. However, even Jesus said this. He says, do you realise that in my human form here on earth, I don't judge anyone? But he did say, my word is still truth. And so there may be an offence by what we stand for according to God's word, but that's not me making that judgment over you. Yeah. It's just that when you don't align with God's word, you won't ultimately find freedom. Yeah. You won't ultimately find fulfilment. Yeah. And so you'll have partial fulfilment, yeah. but it's God's way. And it's kind of, for all of us, I think that's the challenge. And that's why God really says, no to sex outside of a heterosexual marriage. That, that's God's design. People say, yeah, but, you know, I'm not attracted. Yeah, that's where all of us are at different points of emotional standing, if you like. But God created us, and today even in, I think in the schools, it's like, well, you don't know if you're a guy or you don't know if you're a girl. Um, and it's like, well, it wasn't that long ago we did know we are a guy or a girl because we were taught science was the basis of our standing and now feelings is the basis of our standing. No, God says it's deeper than that. I'm the basis. I'm the designer. And if you, even though it may be challenging, live within the design, there's going to be incredible freedom, incredible answers to life. And it may be a challenge to get there. And I just pray that the Christian community will have friends from every part of society. And uh, it's not our job to judge you. But at the same time, I think in a day of tolerance and in a day where we're saying, hey, we've got to have freedom, well, then we've got to realise there are different stands or views of life that we all are allowed to maintain yeah. and yet love each other through it all Absolutely. and help. We're all on a pathway. When you, when you find a perfect Christian, they're not really a Christian. 
Uh, nobody is perfect. But I, I would encourage everybody today to ensure that we get honest with our hearts, get honest with our own struggles, uh, look at making sure we are right in that place where God's got who we are. And, and maybe today you find yourself here and you've come as a friend or you've come as part of life and you just go, so where does all this start? Can I really find that freedom? The answer is yeah. yeah. Can I really find a, a Father in heaven that loves me for who I am? The answer is yeah. yeah. And if you feel, I'm even getting a bit emotional, it's, it's if you feel like, yeah, but I've got all this stuff. Because the thing is, you can have everything, but still be empty. Yes. Whereas when you begin to realise the Father, the designer, yes. has got the right way to live. Yeah. It's at that point you just say, okay, I give in trying to do it my way. And I'm going to take it your way. And at that point comes peace. And comes a God that's going to walk and journey with you. And we're all on that journey. And we're all here together. And so we would love to encourage you. Find God, as we've heard today from the incredible panel and the team here in the stands that, you know, there are real questions and we are people that need a God that understands our complexities and has an answer for us. So I think it'd be great today for all of us just to pray and invite Jesus to lead us. Father, we thank you today for who you are, that you're a God of greatness, you're a God of understanding. You're not a God that condemns, but you're a God of truth. And that truth presents absolutes that we've got to wrestle with. But as we find that place of alignment, we find the depth of your love and the strength of your ability to take us to great places and the fulfillment of who we were created to be. And so we just honour you, Lord Jesus, today in the name of Jesus. this podcast from life if you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message visit lifeau.org